Hello and welcome to The Testing Peers. Uh, thank you for joining us today. Today we have a special crew, so let me introduce you. So let's start with Chris. Howdy, howdy. And let's move on to Shay, our special guest for the day. Hey, how's it going? And we should finish off with Mr. Pryor. Mr. Podcast hey. Pryor. Podcast Pryor. Well, what's your name, Russell? Russell. <laughs> well, today we're Nick obviously going to do our usual banter. And we've already started, it seems. And we're also going to talk about complacency. But before we go and talk about complacency, let's just do a little um, thank you to our sponsors. So I want to say thank you to our sponsors at Saffron QA. We're really grateful for them sponsoring us. And they're a specialist in testing recruitment, offering permanent contract and newly developed retained recruitment service. More details can be found in our show notes. Please reach out to Ben directly if you want to find out more. Thank you to Saffron QA. So over to Mr. Bantz. Mr. Bantz. Hmm. Still not sure that's a great one, but I'll, I'll go with it. I prefer the tangential man. So <laughs> rather than really focusing on, on complacency just yet, I thought I'd, I'd slightly segue into uh, thinking about when I was a bit of a complacent student and I wasted a lot of my time on computer games. And for me, it was... GoldenEye 007 on the N64. And that was the game that I spent the absolute most amount of time playing that you humanly could have done in awake hours. And I was wondering, um, perhaps, if you had a game that you might have spent an unearthly amount of hours playing yourself in your youth? I'll definitely go first on that one. Because this one game was the reason that I am where I am now because I played it so much I failed my degree. And that game is Command and Conquer. And we played Command and Conquer all the time, all the time, all the time. I have a particular memory where we started playing, I think probably when we got back from the pub, and we managed to get through basically a slab of beer between us all the way through the night. And then we got a we we went and got more beer the next day. So it was it was a long long session, but yeah, I I love that game. Mine would be again from uni. Uh, mine would be FIFA, FIFA two thousand and five to be precise. There was eight of us in our house, and there was four of us guys that literally every night, regardless of what we'd done beforehand, whether we'd been out whether we'd stayed in, et cetera, we'd tend to about 10 o'clock once the rest of the house or 11 o'clock when the rest of the house had gone to bed, we'd sit and play FIFA every single night, two against two, probably till three, four in the morning. And I got quite a name for myself for always going and getting a round of toast about one o'clock in the morning as well. Just while we were playing sort of middle of the night snack while we're in the middle of playing FIFA. And as, as you say, Shay, getting through plentiful beer, regardless of what it was, it was whatever's the cheapest at the local shop on the corner but yeah that was that was our uni routine every single night for a year a year and a half so yeah still crave those fifa sessions now you've hit one of my problems in life i reckon because as soon as you said that i, I wrote down six games <laughs> <laughs> um, didn't take me long to write them down so there's some game that i used to play kind of back in school times which just consumed all my life called stars moved on to civilization used to play that um, quite oh, yeah. heavily, constantly. Command and Conquer, doing that networked at school. 
uh, things like that. And actually, um, some of my school friends got told off for networking the school computers to play Quake. So we played that throughout school and we took over our network from our network um, guys. That didn't go down well. Champ Manager. I have wasted most of my life playing Champ Manager versions and games. And when I was recently sick, I was playing it pretty much all day, every day. GTA, Grand Theft Auto, played it for hundreds and hundreds of hours. And the other one that's probably my vice for the last like 10 years is probably Call of Duty. That's probably the one that's lasted me for a while. But um, I have addiction problems to computer games. Uh, you've, you've reminded me, uh, not necessarily the game, but you mentioned about networking across school to do, um, I think you said Doom, did you say Doom? Quake. Quake. Quake is one yeah. of them. Not quite to that level, but we did the same at our uni halls of residence. We networked the uh, uni computers and we played Worms. Okay. Uh, worms Armageddon. And we had you could hear the whole Worms uh, commentary on the... Uh, you walk down the corridor, you could hear every single room playing it at, at one time or other. It was great fun. Chris, how about you? Well... Obviously, I had the N sixty four Golden Eye, um, but yeah, as a as a student, as a student, a student at university, if it was by myself, I was probably football manager, championship manager, depending on which era we were in. If I was doing multiplayer, it was either Pro Evolution Soccer or Mario Kart. There were some epic, epic battles on Mario Kart. It was very, very competitive. And we would normally gamble who was going to go around and make the next round of tea because we were very civilised and British and all that stuff. Yeah, that was that was a lot of fun and uh, distracted an awful lot from what we were supposed to be doing. Uh, so, part of university is a socialising part. It's not all about the university. Um, I, I just <laughs> love that some of these games came out after I'd finished university that you guys played. It's kind of showing my age here. <laughs> Yeah, young at heart, Shane. That's the important yeah, thing. Yeah, always. Moving on to complacency, seeing, seeing as we've shown how complacent we might have been at university. The definition of complacency that we're going to go with has come from the Cambridge Dictionary because uh, Russell refused to go with the Oxford version. This definition is complacency is a noun and it's a feeling of calm satisfaction with your own abilities or situation that prevents you from trying harder. And I don't know about you, but I can relate to that in a work context. And how I've dealt with that has been different depending on where I've been in my career, what I've been aware of, how confident I've been, and many other things. But I wondered if anyone had any sort of stories of complacency in the workplace to get us started. Oh, man, I have one. So for much of my career, I've, I've always, when I came back to testing from being a sort of a project manager and various other roles as a test lead i was like i i wanted to improve myself i wanted to go to all the meetups and conferences and everything like that and i'm still like that today and i was at a company and we had six or eight testers and a few of them were like uh, similar to me trying to better themselves trying to get better there's this one bloke and it's like hey dude fancy reading some of these blogs fancy doing some of this and nope i'm fine it's like we needed him to start reading those blogs to get the, that extra knowledge to move up in his career to be more functional within the team we needed him to broaden himself but he was fine where he was he would get into work he'd run his test scripts 
he'd go home. And he did this all the time. And he had no wish to do anything else. And honestly, to this day, I have absolutely no, no idea how I could have put a spark in him. I just, uh, you know, in all the leadership stuff I've, I've read, all, all my thoughts, I still don't know how I could have sparked that guy to change into, into what we needed. We needed him to step up and there was not a snowball's chance in hell of him doing it. I've, I've had similar people um, that have been like that. I don't know if they're quite to that extreme, but they were very resistant to even having any time to read a blog, watch a talk, attend even an internal meetup. They saw no value in that. They just wanted to get on and do their work and they wanted to have their, their, their time for their lunch break and whatever else if we did it over lunch, which, you know, I've got absolutely no issue with people, you know, coming to work, doing their work, going home. But if we're building a team in the office, you know, together collaboratively, it's good to, to sort of flex a little bit to try and work together and, and try things out. So, but I'm not sure whether that was complacency on their part or just comfort where they were in that they didn't want to change. They thought they were adequately doing their job well enough. There wasn't, whereas I've, I've myself been in positions before where I've, I have actively felt complacent because I've thought, well, I've done enough here. I don't need to do anything else. And actually, there's been scenarios where I've thought I've done enough testing. And I thought, yeah, fine, that's it. I'm done. Don't need to do any more. It's fine. It's going to release no problems. And then someone's asked a question a couple of hours later. And I've suddenly gone, ah, I may have missed something. And it's flipped me out of that complacency. But then it goes the opposite and the imposter syndrome kicks in. Maybe I've not, maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe I've, I've missed a lot of this. Maybe I was wrong to even feel slightly confident here. So, yeah, it's kind of a, it's in my, in my sort of, testing roles it was always a swing from one to the other either i'm complacent or i'm imposter syndrome it is interesting though in that sense like is complacent a bad thing or not and i guess it depends on the impact of it because feeling so satisfied that you don't need to try any harder can be fine yeah do you want to try your hardest everything always all the time the answer is probably not i'm complacent with my tennis skills I'm content that there's about where they're going to be and I'm not going to try any harder to make them better. And I think that's fine. Um, my satisfaction job, if you, in Shay's case, I'm not sure, I'm sure that, that you wanted that person to learn to be, become more capable, I'm guessing. There was a question there about improving that person's wider knowledge to help add to what they could do. And obviously that's where it gets more damaging if people are complacent where there's skills or areas that they're not aware of. We work in a domain that's changing constantly. So, you know, you need to be able to learn continuously to stay in that domain. So within technology, complacency can be quite damaging, I think. I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing, like you say, to, to be calm and satisfied about things. It, it is, I, I don't even think it's a bad thing in the workplace, necessarily. It's, it's, down, it's a very personal thing, because some people really just want to be satisfied that they're doing a good job and, and they, they're comfortable, they don't want yeah. to move out of their comfort zone. Some people aren't driven to do more of those things. And that is absolutely fine, because let's face it, there's a lot of things in my life that I haven't been driven to do. Um, wallpapering, for an example, my house needs wallpapering. I don't want to do it. And I'm quite satisfied that I don't do that. But in, in the workplace, for me, I'm driven personally by wanting to improve things to make mm -hmm. things better and that includes myself and I feel 
a, in a leadership context that I want to be able to set an example of furthering myself, but not that I want everyone to follow the way I do things. I've fallen into that trap before where I'm like, you must consume these things. You must go to these conferences and you will get all this great stuff out. And people have gone to the conferences because they felt compelled to, and they didn't get the same experience out because people don't. And the difficulty for myself as a leader in that st- sort of context was people aren't like me and people don't all want the same things. And so really I need to take a step back and understand and appreciate what it is that motivates these people. What are they happy with? What are they not happy with? Because it can be that people have come from places of real conflict and real toxic environments and actually just working somewhere right now where they're happy and they can just do their job is the best thing. And also I, I've talked about it before where um, having somewhere you're comfortable and feels a bit more like your home is actually a really healthy thing to have, especially like the, when the world's going to hell, like it has been recently and continues to do so thanks to politics and wars and pandemics and such. Sometimes having just that regular comfortable thing that I can do and I'm confident in is, is great. And I'm really happy I can come back to those things. But I'm always going to turn around at some point and feel really irritated that stuff isn't changing, and that I'm not a part of those positive things. And when I've been in a complacent space, it's often come almost as a surprise to me because you get comfortable in the workplace when you spend more time doing things. And it's only been when I've been maybe reflecting with somebody about aspirations or what we want to do next. And I've realized that I'm not trying everything's a bit easy um and or maybe I don't I'm not really needed here anymore that those sorts of things fall into my mind and that actually is a terribly hard place to come back from um and in my experience to date when I've got that far down in complacency I haven't returned in the same context I've had to move either team or organization uh, yeah. I don't know if anyone else has got that experience yeah absolutely I think the other thing that comes across sometimes that's difficult to distinguish between is, is the other side of complacency. So we've talked about, you know, the imposter syndrome side of things and, and how you sometimes switch between it. But the other side is the lazy, you know, misseeing mis- complacency as laziness or it going from complacency to laziness. And I've certainly been there where I've been complacent about something and I've just gone, ah, it's fine. I'll, I'll, I'll cover that off tomorrow or I'll, I'll get to it later. And, you know, I've got it sorted. It won't be a problem. And then either something happens, I'll never get back to it. And there I've lost the chance to actually fix something or do something I should have done. Or it, you know, I just, I just let it be and think, yeah, it'll be fine. I, I'll just, I'll wing it if I need to. And that can have the opposite effect as well. And then you, you end up, it doesn't go as well for whatever reason. I'm talking, I've done this with presentations before, when internal presentations where I've gone, I've done the slide a year ago. I've not changed them. Oh, they'll be fine. And then I've got to it and realised actually the context has changed quite a lot. And my over complacency, my potential laziness has meant that I could have made a better presentation of it than I did. And therefore I've, I've learned from that afterwards, but in that moment, I've. I've that also like misguided overconfidence as well. Yeah, possibly, possibly. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really difficult one, isn't it? I mean, you know, it's interesting listening, listening to you both there and thinking about complacency versus laziness versus 
something else. And yeah, I think reflecting on my career, I think when I've when I've started to become a complacent within a role, I started looking at the door because it's one of those sort of like if I th if I'm looking around going, hmm, yeah, nothing else. Now I'm probably wrong. There's probably a shed load to do, but if I'm looking around, I'm going to look at the door and that's a sign to me to go because I get fired up by new stuff. I, I'm, I enjoy new and shiny. I'm fortunate at the moment in my current role that new and shiny continues to be different every day. And as a consultant, I enjoyed that, but uh, yeah, when you sort of sit back and you just start taking your foot off the pedal, it's like, okay, it's time to change. But if you don't want to move your job, how, what sort of techniques I think would you, would you use to kind of zhuzh it up within your own workplace? So you don't, you don't start looking at the door. Bit of honesty with, with yeah. people that you're working with people who maybe have either you have a relationship where maybe they're a bit of a mentor or a coach or maybe a line manager if you've got it speaking to folks that you trust in your organization who may have a slightly different take on on both yourself and other opportunities i think talking about these things is super important and they may well be able to shed different light and different perspectives on onto those things it's a risky business mm. if they're not people who you do actually have that sort of trusted relationship with because they might be like huh, they're leaving and that could go against you but if you've got those relationships that you've invested in that you really have a good level of trust with talking about them with people who understand your context is a wonderful thing to be able to do not least because you're not just keeping all that those you know maybe they might help you see a bit more sense or, or otherwise honestly talking honesty is some of the most important things for me to try in that situation. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think it is about having that relationship with someone that you can be honest and say, you know, I'm just not feeling this. I'm, I'm, I'm going through the motions kind of thing. And, but that can backfire. And I, I've certainly been there where it's backfired for someone else when they've gone, you know, you can have a conversation with, with your boss, you know, he'll understand. And then they've come out going, he wants me to leave. He wants me to find a, find an alternative place to well, go. It's, there is yeah, the risk, yeah. It's so, yeah, it's it's a difficult one. I think the other thing I would say is in the world of networked community and um, remote, you know, friendship groups like what we've got here is is find those people that outside of your business that you feel comfortable being open and honest with that might get your current situation that might have been there before that might be in a similar company that you know does similar things etc etc and have those conversations and try and you know work together maybe it is a case of someone will, will, will spark you by saying oh but you know I've, i know someone who's went through this and actually they read this blog or they watched this talk and it really helped and suddenly just that little okay i'm going to spend half an hour to watch that talk or i'm going to read that blog etc and and go from there and, and maybe that will help me that's really cool. Uh, can I just say to your listeners, anyone in a leadership position, good grief. If somebody comes to you and goes, hey, look, I'm not feeling it at the moment. And your solution is to show them the door. Have a good hard look at yourself because mm, you are a freaking idiot. Yeah, You do not deserve to be in a leadership position. I'm sorry. 
I'm, I'm not not going to go too far into a rant on this, but if that's your go solution, <laughs> you do not need to be, you should not be in a leadership position. You are not a servant leader. You are not a good leader and you, you need to take a look at yourself because, wow, somebody comes to you and is honest. That is like freaking hen's teeth nowadays. It's always been hen's teeth. Somebody comes to you and heart on sleeve and says, hey, mate, I'm not feeling it right now. Can you help me? Help them. And turn around and have a look at the rest of the team. If there's one person that's feeling that way, there's likely two or three or four, depending on the size of your team. It could be you. It could be you causing that. So bloody have a look. Don't be an idiot like that. Like that boss. I mean, good grief. And and trust me, as as a, as one of the people that sort of encouraged them to go and talk to them, it you know it did have an impact on our perception of that person as well afterwards. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's it. Surprising. Yay for mor a team morale, guys! Yay, thumbs up. Sorry, okay, stepping off uh, off off big ass soapbox on that one. <laughs> you talked about kind of you know what the things has. I'm assuming majority of you on this call have seen the sort of take the blue pill, red pill sort of talk by Lee Rathbone. That's quite a good one for kind of inspiring or trying to encourage people to kind of become less complacent, I guess, and invest in themselves a little bit. It's the best way I can describe it. Um, I haven't watched it in a couple of years now, but I know remember watching it and I remember teams watching it and it helping them kind of jump. Kind of like, wow, there's a world out there and things like that. And I could do something if it's up to me and things. And, you know, what do I want to do? Obviously, it can also go the other way. You could decide not to take that pill uh, and to be more complacent. But, you know, it gives you an option. Um, I think that's the choice. People always have a choice. Um, so it's about giving them the options and giving them the ideas that perhaps could spark an interest, that could spark something that they can connect with. Because sometimes you can't think of it. You're roadblocked from your own experiences, your own biases to actually see the things that actually would inspire you. Like, you know, we can maybe help Chris out with his wallpapering by inspiring about saying, you know, what the impact of his house would it be and make him less complacent with the wallpapering. But maybe not. But we could try. No. <laughs> and this, this this is a good way to sort of paint it, segue Chris. On don't it. do wallpapering. Sorted. It's a good way to segue on it though, because because as as leaders, either if you've ever really had a real life situation where people have kind of spoken to you and, and they've they've struggled with, with things or with motivation, how have how either how have you if you really have had the opportunity to to deal with these situations? How, how have you talked about things, um, or how do you think you might do it perhaps today? were someone to talk to you about these things so as a, if, if somebody comes to me as a leader and says hey i'm not feeling it how do how do we how do i deal with it i think that's a really interesting one i mean i'd love i i'd, I'd really hope that if i'm in a leadership position and somebody who reports to me directly comes to me and says that um i will have known beforehand because doing one-to-ones with them regularly etc that would have come up and been a smaller course correction than a major whoa you know what the hell are we doing here but if it was that i think things like sort of examining their workload you know are they are they are they under under tasked are they over tasked you know some people get complacent because they're just not able to see the wood for the trees so they step back and they're just like oh my god there's too much here i'm just got, not going to do anything and and that's one 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 sort of sign of one source of complacency. I think 
also then you you take a look at you you speak to them about what they're passionate about within within their craft within testing and within your abilities to provide and say hey look okay maybe maybe you get seconded to a different team for a while you know if they want more i don't know manual testing rather than automation or test creation rather than regression running or something like that there will hopefully be something for them to bring them up and then and then also you know check out you know our main man lee rathbone's talk there are plenty of other bits out there to find inspiration and and you know and maybe encourage hey look why don't you write about or, or write a blog or try and do a talk about the way you're feeling at the moment and how you've got here it could lead to something amazing yeah i think that's that's a really really powerful thing to suggest actually is the uh yeah actually go away and document how you're feeling and how you've got to this point and what we could do to you know but giving them time to self-reflect sometimes is a is a good motivator um i'd i'd also look at you know is what they're doing when they're feeling complacent is it enough as in is it i guess it's that that it has to be good the work needs to be good enough not necessarily needs to be gold-plated and complete and perfect and whatever else so is it their perception that actually they want that they feel their work is better than it is is it a place where actually their work is is okay it's good enough it's it's passing the test effectively as you know yes it's getting the job done then it's a case of okay what can we do to turn that dial slightly what can we do to motivate you a little bit more to give you a little bit more incentive to give you a little bit more of a push in the right direction is there something we can suggest oh let, let's send you on a, a conference and you know as, as chris mentioned earlier sometimes that's a a double-edged sword though because pushing someone to go to a conference they're not going to get the same out of it that you would have got out of it but if you can find something that excites them that gives them that little bit of motivation to do something more then they'll find that that little bit of extra spark to do do that slightly bit more in their day job as well but it's just finding finding that balance understanding where they are with their work currently like shay said it could be that they're doing too much it could be that they're not doing enough um it's it's finding that balance trying to help with the, the feeling of overwhelming which sometimes comes with complacency and then addressing what we can do to, to sort of dial up the work if they need it we um have a, a friend and peer uh Santa Vissa, and she did a talk um recently on the goldilocks zone and a lot of it was talking about you know the the, the concept of goldilocks being you know, it's not not too hot, not too cold. It's just right, and sometimes just right is actually a really good sweet spot, um, especially for us to sort of get our heads around when we're developing software because you can't always have too much. You know, it's sometimes that being it, it being all right is actually good enough, and and I guess if if people are, are in, coming to me and they're sort of feeling a bit complacent because um, they're calm and comfortable, then maybe it isn't my job to try and spark and change things maybe my job is to sort of just engage with them and, and really understand what it is that motivates them what do they want to do and to try and create situations where they can be as effective as as as, as is the right sort of thing but also that they're in relationships with people who are who are still going to still be helpful because as a leader of, of people you hope that you're going to put people in the right positions to be able to succeed but also for the company to be able to get the most out of them and it, it's difficult because I have known people who have tried to 
light a fire in me and try to make me feel passionate about stuff. And I just didn't care. And I don't think they were doing anything wrong necessarily. They, they clearly didn't know what was motivating me and what, what didn't, but I also don't think they were particularly listening to me. And as a leader, it's quite hard sometimes when you're so driven by these things that you don't see other people feeling those things. And you want people to experience the cool things that you've experienced. But they are different and we are different. We're made up of different people with different perspectives, different lives, with different drivers. And, and I kind of, I don't know exactly how I would deal with it today. I know that I've had really long conversations with people who have struggled not knowing what they want to do for their next step. And we've often talked about different things that maybe they found interesting or maybe they'd like to try doing different things. And sometimes that means not forcing them out the door, certainly, but, but letting go of trying to help people drive their career because that isn't the right thing for them. And that's, that's quite a difficult thing to do because when you really want to help people and it's not right for you to be the one to help that person, I think that's quite a hard thing to let go of. Yeah, um, I, think, I think you're right. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, I've got an example of something that's happened in the last last year or so where I, I it's, it's not that anyone came forward to me. It was a scenario where I noticed the change and I reached out and said, hey, what's up? And actually it came from the fact that they'd had two opportunities for promotion where they didn't get it two separate and they just literally got to a point where they're like you know what i'm done I, I, i'm not going to give anything more than my my bare minimum um and it wasn't until i actually sort of addressed it saying look i noticed a difference and they were actually open enough to say well actually you know what i feel quite hard done by because i've got you know the feedback i got from both cases were were not negative there was no negative stuff there at all it was just you know the role might have been too big at that point and actually I was then able to work with them and say, look, actually, let's let's look at this. Let's look at what we can put in place. Let's look at what we can make sure that the next time a role is available, we can do something for you and give you that that motivation to get there. And actually, I was able to sort a promotion without a need for an interview and everything for them anyway, because they were doing more than they should have been doing. And as soon as they got that incentive, the flip, the switch flipped, and they're now producing incredible amounts of work and you know they're the voice that I hear most in meetings they're the ones that are most active in discussions and it's suddenly you know it's it's polar opposite and that comes from that feeling of whether it's complacency or whether it's just apathy of I've done I'm, I'm, I'm doing my bare minimum I'm not going to do anything more I'm not going to put the extra hours in I'm not going to put any extra effort in I'm just going to do my my nine to five and I'm going to turn off. I'm not going to answer any calls. I'm not going to answer any emails out of hours. I'm just going to literally going to do the bare minimum. And I think sometimes the, the more difficult one to deal with is not the person that comes to you going, you know what, I'm just not feeling it. It's the one that doesn't say anything. The one that continues doing things in the background, hoping they won't get noticed. And as a leader, we need to have those relationships with our team that are able to identify when someone is, is, is not, their usual bubbly self or their usual contributing as much as they usually do. And I guess it's, it's whether that is classed as complacency or whether that's more going into you know, just not feeling it in other ways, but it's, it's, it's still the same, same, same. It's, applies alert, isn't it? it's yeah. something that alerts, something's not right to then have a conversation to see if there's anything you can do about it. 
And sometimes you can't. But at least you can have the fact, the nurturing conversation that you care. Often that does make you feel more valued. Certainly if I've been on the receiving end, I've appreciated it. I guess looking after humans is more important than KPIs and stuff sometimes. And I think we need to remember humans are the most important things in these. And I think it's also fair to say that complacency is okay. We're all going to feel it at different times for different reasons, for different things. And it's obviously, as I think some of us have said, like I don't want to be complacent in my job. That's just not who I am. So, you know, if someone notices the difference of my natural behavior, then I hope something can happen about it. But we have to accept everyone is an individual and that because they're individuals, they add diversity in, to our teams. And we just got to look for differences where things change because that generally tells you something's not right. I think for me, I, mean, I was trying to think in my head of an example where I've been complacent and actually I'm struggling to think of it in the work context, but I can think of tons in the parenting context of, you know, where I've taken my eye off the kids for a few minutes because I thought, oh, they're fine. I'm going to dive into my phone or, or read a book or do something because they're happily playing. And I've looked up and one of them's hit the other one or just just all I get is the squeal because I've heard something happen. And it's because I've taken my eye off it for two minutes because I got complacent that they were fine and nothing could happen. And it's that feeling of, you know, you just have that overwhelming confidence that nothing could go wrong everything's fine and then inevitably that's the most dangerous position i found myself to be in is where i feel oh nothing can go wrong everything's okay because inevitably something will and it usually happens on my watch very much not good advice <laughs> for parents because i'm not a parent <laughs> but sometimes even when you look away for a second or two your kids will do stupid things if you were looking they'd still do those stupid things and on that bombshell shall we call it a night we probably should shouldn't we well, thank you, everyone, for your discussions tonight. Um, it's uh, an interesting topic. I think we've dived into some uh, very useful uh, tips and tricks there and, and some stories and anecdotes of, of what, we've, uh, what we've experienced over the years. So uh, thank you, Chris, Russell, Shay, for your contributions. Um, and thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, if you have any stories of your own that you wish to get in touch and, and tell us about, then we have um, lots of ways to get in touch. Contact us at testingpeers.com is one way. On the socials, it's at Testing Peers on pretty much any social that we're on. I think that's Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram. Chris still hasn't set up the TikTok, so we haven't got that one yet. We may get there one day. No, no. <laughs> I really um, want to see the Testing Peers do a dance. Well, you'd be part of that show. You'd need to be a PeersCon. Yeah, PeersCon. There we go. We've got the, we've got the plug-in, as always. Yes, so... Thank you, thank you again for listening, um, and thank you to Saffron Kure for continuing to sponsor us and supporting us in all our endeavours. For now, it's goodbye from the testing peers. Goodbye. goodbye.